Matthew chapter 2 says this. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea. For so it was written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summed the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. They opened their treasures. They offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for today. We thank you that you've been a good God who gives so much to us, and who's so kind to us. We thank you that you... Today we celebrate the greatest gift that, he, that you've given us, your Son, Christ. Father, would you help us to respond with the appropriate love? We pray for these things in the name of your Son and by your Spirit. Amen. The passage that we've just read is one of most people's favorite passages about the Christmas story. And that is because there's so much mystery. Who are the Magi? Where do they come from? What are they doing? And so you can uh, dump whatever you want to into the Magi, but I'm just going to be a spoil sport and tell you who they were. So you, you don't have to guess. Um, in uh, This word Magi is a is an Aramaic word which actually referred to kind of a bureaucratic caste in ancient Babylon. And so it was basically a bunch of bureaucrats in Babylon. And it was there in Babylon at the time. There was a lot of, there's a big Jewish community from people who had been exiled to Babylon. And so these magi who come, they're just Jewish people who are living in Babylon. And one of the great um, marks of Babylonian culture back in the day was astronomy. And so they knew their stars, and they saw the star coming up, and they thought this is clearly something important because it had been prophesied in Isaiah 60 that when the star arises, that, that people will bring frankincense and gold to, uh, to the, the king. And so they were just doing what they thought to be the most biblical thing. They were just obeying Scripture, and they were just coming to worship the, the Messiah who's come to rescue his people Israel. Mystery dispelled. These are people who've come from the east, and they've come to worship the, the Messiah. They've come to worship the Lord because he has brought a, a star. He's brought his salvation to all peoples. And, and so because uh, the, these, these magi have come, we can infer and guess a little bit about their motives. 
Their motive is that they are trying to obey Scripture. They're trying to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. They're just trying to be faithful. And what I want to persuade you of today is that there is nothing higher, there's nothing better, there's nothing more worthy that you could give yourself to today than in any day than to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That there is nothing more worth your time, there's nothing more worth your affection, there's nothing more worth your life than to give yourself to the ultimate love of the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you can see that, that that is the the summary of the law from the book of Deuteronomy, which is printed in your bulletins, that you hero, hero Israel. You shall love the Lord, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall walk, uh, shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you rise by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hands and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. This is all that the wise men are trying to do. They're trying to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And it's not for nothing that Matthew will later instruct us this in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6. It says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I believe that the Gospel of Matthew is, uh, is trying to give us an example of people who are trying to do just that, who are trying to tre- store up their treasures in heaven, who are, who are trying to bring their treasures, bring all that they have before the Messiah and the King. And I want to persuade you that they were right, and that you too should do that with your life. But let me, let me define a little bit more what we mean by what it means to love the Lord. And let me take, uh, help us flesh this out when it comes to Deuteronomy. And so the first thing we see is it's not just any God that we're supposed to love. And it's not just a, a Mother Earth, and it's not just another God. No, we're supposed to love the Lord, our God, the Lord, the one Lord. And this, this, so, so there's only one God, and it's the God of the Bible that we're supposed to love. And yet, when he says you shall love the Lord your God, that's covenantal language. And so we are being instructed, we're being commanded to love the God who covenants with his people to save them. To, to love the God who's full of loving kindness, to love the God who is holy, who commands his people to be holy as I am holy, that we should give ourselves to loving him with all that we have. That's one. So that's the first thing that we see. It's not just any God that we should love, but that we should love the God of the Bible, the the covenant God of the people of God. I I believe that also, if we're going to love God, that means that we must obey Him. Because God has shown us so much love that if we love Him, we will obey Him. Obedience, proper obedience to the God of the Bible overflows into obedience. It's pretty clear from Deuteronomy. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. If you love God, then you will keep his word. 
We're supposed to love God with all that we have. So when he says, you shall love the Lord God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might, and he doesn't say you will love him with your ears, that doesn't mean that your ears get a pass. It's an all-inclusive statement. When he says, love the Lord God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, he's, he, he's saying, with all that you have, every ounce of being that you are, every ounce of strength, every bit of you ought to be oriented to the ultimate love of God. And we should love him in every sphere of life. So we should love him with our children. It says you shall teach them diligently to your children. You should love him in your family, with your spouse, and all that come into your, into your house. It says, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house. We should love them when we're traveling, when, when you walk by the way, when we're resting and when you lie down. And we should r- love him when we rise in the morning. We should bind them as a, hand, a sign on our hand that we should, they should be frontlets before our eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. That every sphere of life, all that we have, it ought to be oriented towards the love of God. And if we love him, that will overflow in obedience. That, and my goal is to persuade you that that is a good thing to do. In fact, that's the best thing to do. There's nothing more important you could spend your life doing than giving it to the love of God. Now, maybe you're here and you think, I have some other things that I would like to love first. That would be an honest statement. Let me say two two competing objects of love. Uh, These aren't the only two, but certainly these are the two that maybe most of us would struggle with. And probably most of us struggle with the first one above all. But the first one is this. Maybe you say, I would much rather give myself to the love of myself than to the love of God. And if you say that, you'd be honest. And I I would understand it. To love yourself seems like a good idea, right? I mean... If I could love myself with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, if I could give the love that ought to go to God, to myself, that would mean I could worship myself and I could spend all my time and my money and my energy and my affection on myself and I would be, as one of my professors in college called it, a self-esteem success story. (laughs) Now, I, I certainly don't want you to hate yourself. Don't misunderstand what I'm trying to say. I certainly don't believe that for you to spend the rest of your life being self-loathing and self-pitying is going to be productive. And here's what I've found to be true. The people who give themselves the love that God alone deserves tend to be the people that hate themselves the most. The people who give themselves the love that God alone deserves tend to be the people who hate themselves the most. Let me say two words that will solve this for most of you, that will convince most of you, maybe not all of you, but most of you. Two words, and I don't need to explain anymore, but I will. Michael Scott. Yeah, see? If you ever see in the office, you know that the central character, Michael Scott, is somebody who loves himself more than anything else and wants everybody around him to know himself to know that they ought to love him as much as he loves him. And yet, the, the most painful moments that you can't stop looking at when you're watching The Office are, are the moments where he kind of lets on that he knows this is not a good idea. 
where, where he turns out to be a very dark character because for all the love that he gives himself and for all the love that he demands from others, he knows that he is not worth it. Let me say two more words for the fans of you for the office who will persuade you even more. And I don't need to explain, but I will. Scott's Tots. Yeah. Those of you who know this episode of, of The Office, not that a pastor would ever endorse a show like that. Those of you who know this show know that this is like, watching this episode of The Office is like watching a car accident. You, you see that uh, Michael Scott wants everyone to know just how charitable and philanthropist he is. And so he tells a class of kindergartners that if they can not drop out through college or through all of high school, then he will pay for all of their college. It's a good charitable thing to do. The problem is he can't do that. He doesn't have the money to pay for it. And so he just kind of keeps putting it off and ignores them and, and uh, uh, lives off of their affection and their, 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 their appreciation and their thankfulness to him. All the while, he's harboring this fact that he can't pay for their college. And so they all go to graduate uh, high school, and what do you know? He tells them, I can't pay for your college. And of course, they are upset. The, the people who hate themselves or who love themselves in the way that they ought to love God tend to be the people who are the most unhappy, who are the most self-centered, who are the most self-loathing and self-pitying people I know. So I, I don't think it's a wise idea to give yourself the love that God alone deserves. I'm certainly not telling you to hate yourself. I'm just telling you, that we should love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, not ourselves. So, so maybe some of you are like, okay, well, I, okay, I'm not going to give, I'm not going to be selfish that way. I'm not going to, I'll, 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 I'll pick somebody else. I'll, 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 instead of loving myself, I will love my my neighbor. So I will, I'll give my wife or my kids or my coworkers, I'll give them the love that God alone deserves, and that. That's a, a, a reasonable thing to think, right? Because those are the people that we love. And we certain, And again, Scripture says to love your neighbor as yourself. So I'm certainly not telling you that you should hate your neighbor. I'm certainly not telling you you should, you should hate your spouse or your kids, that you should love them. I'm just telling you not to give them the love that God alone deserves. If you give any other human being the love that God alone deserves, I think what you will see is one of two options. On the one hand, you will turn them into a selfish, self-centered, as Augustine used to say, somebody who's curved in on themselves. And you will turn them into that person that, that demands the love that God alone demands. And we've already seen that can be destructive. So the other option, though, is if you give them the love that God alone deserves, you will crush them. Because no person can bear up under that kind of weight. No person is worthy of the kind of love that God alone deserves. And if you're, telling, if you're going to tell that person that you complete me, that I'm, I'm going to live through you, that you have all of my affections, all of my happiness, you're telling that person that you have no permission to be imperfect. And those of you who are married know that is not a great way to conduct yourself in marriage. That 
to give any other person the love that God alone deserves will either turn them into a selfish, self-centered person, or it will crush them, and it might just do both. Now, strictly speaking, I'm not, that's not persuading you to, to give God all of the love of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. That's just telling you why you shouldn't give it to those other objects. Well, let me give you some reasons, seven reasons why, seven reasons why you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Number one, he's good. He's a good God. James 1.17 says, Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. He's a good God. He's not a cruel God. He's not a distant God. He's not a mean God. He's, he's a good God. And even when he sends suffering our way, it's his kindness towards us. God is a good God. So that's the first reason. The second reason because God loved us first. 1 John 4.10, And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation or the sacrifice for our sins. So why should we love Him? Because He loved us first. Why should we, return? Why, why should we uh, love Him and obey and keep the covenant? Because He has loved us and kept the covenant with us. Number three, because he loved us even when we were sinners. Romans 5, 8, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When there was not much that was lovely in us, when there was a lot of reasons that somebody might rational might have told God, don't give your love to those people, God loved us. That's number one. That's number three. Sorry, I went to Bible college. Not good at math. Number four, I think. Because he gave his son for us. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith and the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We should love him because he gave his son to be a sacrifice for our sins on the cross. Number five, we should love him because his love will never let us go. Romans 8, 38-39, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We, we should love Him because His love will never let us go. Because His love doesn't abandon us. His love doesn't give up on us. His love doesn't leave us. Even when we maybe uh, have let Him down a thousand times, His love does not. Scripture says that He is faithful even when we are faithless. So that's number five. Number six, we should love Him because not only did He give His Son for us, He gave His Son to us. Not only is His Son the means by which we can enter into eternal life, but His Son 
is eternal life and to know him and to abide in him and to gain him and to have him brings about great joy. 1 Peter 1, 8 and 9. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your salvation. The outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I love this quote from Augustine. It is God who wants himself to be loved, not in order to gain any reward for himself, but to give to those who love him an eternal reward, namely himself, the object of their love. If you and I are going to have an object of our love that satisfies us, that never runs out, that, that always fulfills us, that always gives us joy, even when everything else in life is sucking the life out of us, then we need an object of our love who himself is infinite and eternal and will never run out. Number five, number seven, seventh reason that we should uh, love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. For all of these other ones we've listed and a thousand more, we can say that He is worthy. He is worthy. Revelation 5, and they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll. And to open its seals for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And again in Revelation 5.12, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. The reality is there is no one more worthy than him. It's not just that you shouldn't love these, give these other objects the, the love that God alone deserves because they are not worthy of it, although that's true. It's that he is worthy of it, that he does deserve it, that it is fitting, it is right, it is good, it is proper to give him the love of all of our heart and our soul and our mind and our strength, to talk about him when we rise and when we lie down, to talk about him with our children and to share him with our children and to give our lives to the love of God is fitting and proper and good because he is worthy. Because he is worthy. So maybe you say, well, how do I start loving God? How do I get, how, how, do, I, how do I do that? How do I, if, if this is the right and good and fitting and proper thing that I should do with my life to give myself to the love of God with all of my heart and my soul and my mind and my strength, how do I do that? How do I start doing that? And the, the answer is you can't. You can't, I don't think you and I have that in us to, to muster up the love that God alone deserves. The only way that you and I can love God as we ought, the only way we could, can give Him the love that He alone deserves, that He alone is worthy of, is if He gives us that love for Himself. Romans 5, 5 tells us that He does exactly that. It says, hope does not put us to shame because God's love 
has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. And so if you're here today and you're saying, I don't love God, that is not something that I do. I think the only way that you can start loving God is by asking him to make you love him. And I think the only way to do that is to say, God, I am a sinner. I am more full of sin than I even know. But what I've heard this morning is that you are more full of grace than I could even imagine. Would you take my sin and give me your kindness? And I trust that in that, God begins to work a love for him in our hearts. Maybe you're here and you're saying, I I do love God, but I want to grow in it. I want to increase in it. I want to progress in it. I know that I do, but it's kind of like a, I believe, help my unbelief. I, I, I love, help, my, my, my un, help me grow in this. And the analogy that we've used here um, throughout the last month as we've been talking about faith, hope, and love is if you were to go to a park and you knew that you had a friend who was going to be sitting at a bench at that park every day when you walked by, you would have a decision. Am I going to sit down and talk with this friend, or am I going to keep walking? And if you choose to keep walking, the chances are that you are less likely to get to know that friend well, and less likely to have affection for that friend, and less likely to reach out to him, and less likely to call him up and see how he's doing, except when he shows up randomly on your Facebook feed. But if you sit down and talk with him every day, if you sit down and spend time with him, more and more, little by little, degree by degree, your hearts and your affections and your desires and your sense of humor and your stories will begin to look a lot like his. And so it is with God. When we choose not to walk with him, when we choose not to read his Bible, when we choose not to gather with the people of God, we are, we, we are making that decision and, and the side effect is inevitably that we will love him less than we could. But when we choose to read our Bible and when we choose to pray and when we choose to go to church with the people of God, then, then our hearts slowly are being calibrated and our hearts are slowly being adjusted and aligned more and more degree by degree according to his own wishes and desires. Now, now maybe you're here and you're saying, Matt, that all sounds good, but my heart is cold. And and I I feel that, that it is hard to even muster up the strength to do that. How, how do I get my heart reoriented again after, after I feel like it's grown cold? And I, I understand that. Let me give you just a handful of what I hope are just really practical things. And I can't take credit for all these because the elders and I talked about this particular point in my sermon this week. So talk to Scott and Peter for more wisdom. But I, I would tell you a number of things. First, know that everybody feels that way sometimes. If you feel like your heart has grown cold to the things of the Lord, that's because you're human. It's because all of us are that way sometimes. I'm that way sometimes. Usually Monday morning. Sometimes Sunday afternoon. Frequently Sunday at 1230. 
that often our, our hearts grow cold. So if you, if you feel that way, if you feel like I, it's hard to even muster up the strength to spend time with the Lord, just know that you're not alone. And I would hope that that is encouraging to you. I, I would also say this. I would ask yourself why your heart has grown cold. Maybe that there's unconfessed sin in your life. Maybe there's something that you need to bring before Him. Maybe you've been choosing to give your love to something that cannot bear that love up. Maybe you're just tired. Why, why has your heart grown cold? I would say this. I think one of the most important things to do when you do feel your heart growing cold, when you do feel the embers dying down, is to stir the coals up is to to stir that up. And so sometimes the action that leads to the love, that flows out of the love of God, will come before the love of God, if that makes sense. As our elders said this week, that if sometimes, sometimes we, we like to think about the love of God in theory, but you can't think about the love of God in theory, you have to get in the game yourself. None of us feel like running a mile before we start running. For some of us, halfway through the mile that we start to think that we can make it. And so sometimes it's the love of God. It's, it's not a, I, I feel an immense amount of affection at five in the morning to get up and read the Bible. Sometimes it's like, I'm up and I know I need to read the Bible. And the love of God comes out of that. And the love of God flows from that. And I think it's important to stir the coals. I, I, if I could just offer one pre- piece of what I hope is very practical advice on this. Sometimes it's helpful to do things to freshen up this spending time with the Lord. So sometimes it's helpful helpful if you are reading the ESV to switch it up and maybe read the NASB or the Legacy Bible or, or and then switch back to the ESV because it's better. But sometimes it's helpful to switch translations. If you are going through a particular devotional and that's not helpful, it's okay to switch to another devotional. There's, there's nothing requiring you to keep that. If you always sit on one side at church, it's okay to sit on another part of church. It throws me off, but it's okay. I'll live. It, it, it sometimes is helpful to freshen up the way, to just kind of refresh the way that we spend time with the Lord so that we don't get stuck in a rut. Christians, here's what I want to leave you with above all this morning. Is that in the gospel, and what we celebrate at Christmas, is that God has loved us more than we could possibly know. And that God's love for us from eternity past to eternity future is far more than we could ever be worthy of. And therefore, the love that God deserves, love from each one of us and from all of us together, is a love that we will continue to feel for eternity future. And it's worth it starting right now. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are a God of love. That you are a God who loves your Son and who sent out the Spirit of love to your Son and who welcomes us into that relationship. Father, we thank you that you have adopted us because of your love. You have sent your son to die on the cross for our sins because you loved us, not because we are particularly worthy, but because you are a God who loves. And so, Father, I pray that 
this time together has done a little bit to stir the coals up, that we might more and more have our hearts and our affections attuned and aligned to your love for us. And so, Father, now I pray that you would fill our hearts with joy that is inexpressible as we await our blessed hope and Savior. And that you would fill our mouths with songs of joy as we go about to sing his great praises from now and forevermore. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.